0: Welcome to Any Honey and the Newt! Welcome to Any Honey and the Newt! Uh, You probably are confused, maybe, if you were paying attention at all to the last uh, season where we called ourselves It Is What It Is and just used our names. Uh, Why the change, Anthony?
1: Well, you see, a lot of our friends message us and says, hey, we can never find your podcast. And then I tried searching for our podcast, and I also couldn't find it. So uh, we kind of came up with our, our own pseudonyms to represent us so that it would allow us and you to find us easier on the internet.
0: Yeah, and I picked the newt because when I got forced to pick a gamer tag and didn't have anything in my mind, I used... Hermie Newt for Hermanute since I was doing hermeneutics uh, and the Newt just seems like a funny radio DJ name so here we are. <laughs> How about you?
1: Yeah Any Honey came about because um, one time uh, my mom was texting my wife who wasn't my wife at the time and she uh, misspelled my name and autocorrect fixed it to Any Honey. And honestly, like that wasn't a one-off scenario because it happened with a friend of mine. She like misspelled my name in her contacts and it saved as any honey there as well. And so for some reason, you know, Google and Siri or whatever AIs exist in the phones think that an appropriate word is the word any honey. (laughs) And also a good replacement for the name Anthony. So I just steered into the the skid.
0: Nice. Uh, (laughs) Passing yourself off as appropriate. I love it. (laughs) Uh, So last season, uh, we talked about it is what it is and determinism and and player empowerment and a bunch of different topics. And we decided that we really liked the idea of having themed seasons. Not that every episode will be the same or about the same topic, but that there's like a running thread that we can revisit from different angles. And so uh, we have picked love and relationships for this this season's thread anthony or any honey how do you want to uh go forward with this topic uh
1: first i have to say because i love this podcast and i love chatting with you um i'm really disappointed in myself that i didn't bring any confetti to kick off the second season
0: <laughs> do with the finger guns <laughs> um
1: let's see since we love basketball right uh, we thought that that was an appropriate transition into the greater concept of the of the greater concept of love, uh, leading down different kinds of relationships. But I mean, there's no bigger uh, celebration of love in basketball than the concept of fandom. Would you agree that that's like the most tangible form of love for a sport?
0: I think it's right up there. I, I think there's one ahead of it, and it's actually going to be in one of our future episodes, and I think that's the player's love for the game. Ah, yeah. But other, otherwise, I think the fans' love for the game, not as non-participants, uh, is, is right up there. Uh, we both say that we love basketball, and this is probably not the use of the word love that people immediately thought of when we said we were going to talk about love and relationships. Don't worry. We're going to explore all the different ways or a lot of the different ways that the word love is used. So. We may or may not touch on the things that you're interested in, but stay tuned. But I think uh, just kind of as a way to bring uh, the topic through basketball, it was, uh, um, I think you proposed just saying, why do we love basketball? Like, how were we drawn to this form of entertainment and how has it sparked so many conversations between you and I? Uh, And so I thought that was a really nice, interesting way to start off the, the new season, kind of a personal note and opening the door to love without diving all the way to the bottom.
1: Yeah, and one thing that I, uh, you know, in our relationship with basketball is you and I both have a different approach to why we love the game. I think we both love basketball itself, right? Um, And I kind of got into it because I was a fan of a specific team. And you have a much more general approach to loving the NBA and the narratives within the NBA. And I think uh, those two approaches combined have really helped me, at least, uh, come to appreciate the NBA in many different ways. I don't know about you and, and how you know my perspective has helped you at all, or not. <laughs> I've been a suffering fan for a good, good 20 years uh, because I am a Knicks fan. And we had one good, I say we, right? They had one good spurt uh, from like 2010 <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> They had one good spurt from 2010 to 2013 um, when Cam- Carmelo Anthony you know was kind of in his prime Omari Stademeyer had just joined the team and uh, before then it was you know all talk and empty promises and afterwards it's just been wallowing in misery <clears throat> but those kinds I don't know to me those kinds of experience, really build your appreciation for the good times. Of course, I got into uh, the Knicks when, I guess you could say I'm, I was a bandwagoner because I got into the Knicks um, during their Ewing era. And <clears throat> the most I probably ever paid attention was during that 98-99 season, which was a lockout season in the NBA when the Knicks... We're an eighth seed in the playoffs, and they went to the NBA Finals. One of the only teams to have ever done that. And it was such a magical run that I was, like, instantly hooked. Uh, then a couple years later, I was on college tours trying to pick which university I was going to go to. And I visited SUNY, um, SUNY Purchase at the time, which was where the Knicks did their practices. And I actually got to meet Jeff Van Gundy, just a couple of days before he, um, I don't want, retired is not the right word. Uh, basically, he quit. <laughs> Backstabbing the hearts, you know, of all Knicks fans everywhere. Because he's probably one of the the best coaches the Knicks have ever had. And so I got to meet him then. I, you know, I didn't get to meet Spreewell, but I did see him. He was getting interviewed uh, by a couple of reporters at that time. And he was my favorite player. And uh, basically, ever since then... I've been following the Knicks. One thing I want to add to this in my thinking about what fandom is, is I kind of feel that there's a similar thread with personal tastes, right? There's like, you know, part of it is familiarity. You become exposed to a certain interest, uh, we'll say like a basketball team. And the more exposure you have with that team or interest, whatever it is, you know, hip hop or different kinds of music. You know, TV shows. Uh, the more you're susceptible, I think, to liking it, or you're the more predisposed you are to liking it. And so, as you become more knowledgeable in a certain topic or interest area, I think it just kind of naturally grows that that your amount of liking that thing grows with the amount of knowledge that you have of it. It's almost like because you're more knowledgeable you're like evolutionarily predisposed to liking it. There's a lot I
0: want to say about that. So I think that will be one of the threads we'll pull on here shortly Um, to share kind of my personal approach to fandom. uh, As as a youth, I loved sports and was not good at them. Like I I, uh, was often made fun of for being a scrawny uh, little kid that got knocked around and fell over and broke his arm all the time. Uh, And so I loved watching sports, loved watching athletes do things that just seemed magical to me. Like I couldn't believe that a human being could do some of the things that they could do. Uh, In other sports, it was the amazing one-handed football catch or the diving uh, rolling catch for baseball or uh, hockey. Some of the grace to skate between players and move that puck around. But in basketball, the leaping ability... The hand-eye coordination for amazing passes. I've always been a fan of the pass, and then just the timing of a block. Being a tall guy myself, the one thing I could do on the basketball court was block <laughs> people's shots, and so that was something I gravitated to watching in the game as well. So growing up, uh, it was pretty dominant. It was the Celtics and Lakers and Pistons, and then the Bulls. Right, there were these dynasties that kind of dominated the the media of basketball and i didn't have a lot of access to watching games so i was a fan basically of of these dynasties and in the 90s some challenging dynasties came up where you had reggie miller and the pacers uh you had the knicks that were trying to to give the bulls a run uh the hornets had some fun combination of teams and so i started enjoying the stories of these underdogs or challengers and trying to find which teams might be underrated or which might have uh, a player who is overperforming for for his scenario. Um, And I just really started following players probably more than teams. And I enjoyed the all-star game more than anything. Like this was bringing all the magical athletes that could do all the most amazing things together in one place. And if they actually played defense, then you got to see the talent on both sides of the floor at the highest level in the world. And, And that's what fascinated me. So when I went to grad school and I realized I don't have time to follow all of my hobbies and do my schoolwork, I had to narrow down my interests. I still wanted to have like a personal life, but I I just had to choose which items to keep there. And basketball was an easy one to choose. I I kept doing fantasy basketball and and watching basketball primarily because in a one minute clip, I can watch the highlights from the night before. There's not as many uh, players on the court. There's not as many players to follow. The stats are relatively easy to to keep up with. And... uh, there's so many good teams and good players that it didn't matter what night it was i was going to find something enjoyable to to watch or to pick up on so i really started becoming a fan of the league in general probably about 2010 as i entered grad school and i think uh, one of the ways that your fandom influenced mine is is about this because i used to only watch the highlights and read the the box scores and then go play fantasy Right. And so a lot of my knowledge of basketball was based on video games and fantasy basketball rather than actual NBA basketball. Uh, And somehow that still provided some insight, uh, because when we would have conversations, there would be like things I'd be like, oh, yeah, this I noticed this player that nobody has heard of has a really good rating in NBA 2K or whatever. Like, what's that all about? And we would uh, talk about what makes them a good player or what makes somebody overperform stat wise on a bad team. And then you would give me some of the organizational information, right, about GMs and, and salaries, stuff that I had never paid attention to. And then all of a sudden, like, I was invested in, in looking at not just the on-court highlights, but the off-court drama and storylines. And so that enriched my experience from for providing a lot more narratives and, and things to be looking for, even when I was watching a game. But I still, I'm still a fan of the the circus shot or the amazing pass or the dynamic block. Those, those highlights are, are what thrill me the most about basketball.
1: If only you could get a PhD in basketball or even a NBA, because <laughs> I think I would have been a lot more motivated in grad school. <laughs> <clears throat> One other thing I wanted to add to that was, um, um, you know, you talked about having like a different perspective to kind of expand your your essentially worldview of basketball knowledge, right? And because I was so singular focused, it was essentially the same for me, but in a different context. Because you know, you had more of a of a broader understanding of the basketball world. Like me at that time, I basically only knew about other players if they were good or not in NBA Two K. <laughs> Once you get understanding and knowledge in a realm that's slightly outside that, and then you start exploring that other area like for me it was looking more in depth into players lives on other teams then then you start like having a whole new appreciation for not just the sport but the league itself and i feel like those two things also trickle down into your your understanding and love of your own team
0: yeah and, and uh as not identifying as having a team I people would often you know, when we'd connect and find out that we both like basketball, that's the first question people ask, who's your team, right? They want to know if you're for us or against us and whether it's going to be a bunch of fun uh, ribbing on each other's team or not. And I can never answer that question. I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm kind of, uh, I, I like the stories of the NBA more than any particular team. And um, <clears throat> I think the idea of having a team is interesting, but we, we, performed an experiment one year where we picked each other's team to root for, All right? You were trying to get me to have that, that team loyalty experience. And I was trying to get you to look at another team other than the Knicks and see if you could have that same experience or not. How how deeply rooted was that Nick blood? And that was a fun year. I definitely spent a lot of time investing um, my attention and energy and analyzing the Utah jazz and came to appreciate some of their players. Like there's like Royce O'Neal is still a fan favorite for me even though uh, you know he's not going to be an all-star or anything like that, he's just a player that I have enjoyed following. Uh, and so I wonder if you had a takeaway from that experience of trying to root for another team while having always been in, and still being a Knicks fan. Uh, that was an interesting experiment.
1: Yeah, you son of a bitch. You you gave me the Pelicans, and it turned out that that just so happened that that year. They were basically Knicks of the West. <laughs> uh, that was, uh, for those who aren't aware, that year was the year that Anthony Davis went, uh, was trying to get traded from the Pelicans to the Lakers, which he did at the end of that season. And um, so the team had to deal with that turmoil the whole time.
0: I just want to say real quick, the reason I gave you that team was not to be cruel The year before that, they had swept the Blazers Blazers, in the playoffs. They were like uh, an eight seed that that swept the first round, and Anthony Davis was scoring like fifty points a game. And I was like, "Oh, he'll be a fun player to watch." Cue Anthony's tears.
1: Right. No, and I was really (laughs) excited. I was like, "Finally, there's going to be a team that has a superstar on it that I can like really get invested in." And the whole year, you know, it was interesting for different reasons. Like the play on the court was disappointing, Um, but at the same time. You know, I really got to know more about the skill sets of the players and this sort of started helping to, to deepen this idea I've had of, um, of decision making as being the premium thing that is most valuable in players. So I got to understand um, development and player skill sets from a, from a different perspective. And realize, like, you know, how different coaching systems work, how different GM systems work. So it, it really did deepen my appreciation of the sport in general. Um, and it did deepen my appreciation for my own team. At, I shouldn't say appreciation. I more, like, deepen my understanding of how team structures work. So that when the Knicks made bonehead decisions, I... Um, could see what they were at least trying to do, as opposed to just being the blanket fan who's like, oh, this team sucks. This is garbage. Could add some
0: stats to your anger. <laughs> uh, yeah, so from the personal kind of approach, let's let's talk about fandom in general. Uh, people have taken different approaches. Some people are casual fans, right? And what does that mean? That's probably watching the Christmas Day games coming back for the all-star weekend and then starting to watch the end of the season as the playoffs ramp up. There's um, people that are probably team diehards that'll watch as many games for their home team as they can. And uh, that can take different forms. That can take up uh, my team can do no, no wrong or there can be like the kind of fandom that you've expressed where you're rooting for your team to win, but you have like a, a realistic understanding of, of their talent level and whether it's, gonna win or not and what they can do to move forward and then there's uh maybe the conferences or regions maybe you like teams in your region or maybe you just aren't uh, a team fan at all maybe you're like me a player fan maybe there's people that followed lebron around all over uh his travels so that's why you live in la right <laughs> <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> so what does it mean to be a fan if if there's all these different ways that fandom can can take shape?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Because like you said, if you ask, you know, 20 people, you'll probably get 20 different answers or reasons why they're fans, right? So there's like different levels of fandom and there's different um, experiences with fandom. Um, One thing that I always appreciated with living in New York, and I haven't ever really experienced this in other places, uh, but I know it does exist there, is that... um, It was really easy to become a Knicks fan, especially over a Nets fan, because I found that Knicks fans really enjoyed talking about the team. And like, it was my first experience, like I've met, you know, like Dallas Cowboy fans, for instance, Um, and I'm going to go and just call them all homers. Um, And the reason why is because like certain fan bases, and maybe it's a cultural thing, But you find that some fan bases, or at least like some people within the fandom, they kind of have like the more casual experience and they don't believe in scrutiny. And that was one of the most refreshing things I found about being a Knicks fan was like, here's a group of people who really invest in the team, but they have no problem challenging the decisions of the front office. They don't just believe all, you know, willy nilly in the direction that the franchise is going, you know. Phil Jackson got hired to be the president of basketball operations and almost universally was criticized for that decision. But at the same time, this is kind of like a Trump getting elected situation was like, this is a really bad decision. But, you know, maybe we as fans will have hope that this will work out in the end. And I remember that conversation happening a lot. And it happens, you know, time and time again, every coaching decision, every player trade every um, GM uh, front office decision, you know, it's like some people really believe in it and some people really object to it, but the fans will have intelligent conversations around it. And it I haven't ever really seen that until I start getting really deep in other fan bases. But I found that on the surface level of, of the Knicks fan base, that's kind of like the general norm.
0: Mm. I wonder if uh, if all it takes to be a fan is to have the desire, not just willingness, like you don't want somebody to be okay with it but not really want to. There has to be some kind of yearning or desire. But to watch basketball, to, to whatever aspect of it is, whether it's to look for the stat line, whether it's to watch for the amazing plays, whether it's just to see... A game played at its highest level, like whatever the whatever the pull is, being a fan, I think, of the of the sport has to do with the sport, uh, uh, with the game. Being a fan of the NBA League probably has something to do with looking for the excellence of that sport and the players. It probably has some a lot to do with the players uh, that are pulled from all around the world because it's the longest standing, most organized kind of league to that caliber. Um, but what do you think about that, that, that there has to be desire involved in fandom and that what you're pulled to has something to do with the organization or, or the system that you're, you're a fan of.
1: Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I was thinking while you were talking about that, this idea of the bandwagon fan or the casual fan. And I I'll say that those two are different things. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Okay. So um, the for those who don't know, the bandwagon fan is the one who jumps on the winning team, uh, like the Golden State Warriors, right? Whenever there's kind of a dynasty in the NBA, uh, new fans kind of join on to the fandom of that team. So they're kind of labeled as bandwagon fans. Casual fans are similar to bandwagon fans, uh, but they don't have as deep an experience with their fandom. So it's like you said, Corbin, somebody who watches the Christmas Day games. Right. Or maybe they'll go from that to the all star game to watching a few games in the playoffs. That's kind of the level of a casual fan. They could go deeper than that, but we're not really talking about, um, you know, having somebody who becomes a loyal follower.
0: I think I would characterize the contrast. I, I just want to clear I don't think the contrast is between casual and bandwagon, it's between casual and maybe something like loyal i don't know what the right word would be but like someone who has a a deeper like commitment to being a fan and being a observer of the game and then the bandwagoner versus the uh like team loyalty right a bandwagoner presumably will be willing to switch teams if if the team that they're a fan of suddenly starts stinking. yeah yeah so
1: i was just trying to define the two so that they were differentiated
0: gotcha gotcha yeah so you can be a deep bandwagoner fan like you can know a lot about the game and still hop teams to the to the winning team or you can be a casual team loyal loyalist right or a casual bandwagoner those are not um exclusionary
1: oh man now we're starting to get into like intersectionality and fandom
0: right (laughs) because i'm
1: like can you be a bandwagoner and be like really deep nba fan Um, and I'm like thinking of my own experience, right? Like I'm a deep Knicks fan and I would say I'm a deep NBA fan and I would say I'm like a casual Warriors fan, but I wouldn't be a bandwagon fan in that case. Like, sure. My fandom probably was at its peak while they're winning and I still want them to be successful and hint, this is like a little thread on, on how I feel about love and relationships. Um, But I was more deeply, you know, I would say I became a casual Warriors fan um, because I was invested in the growth of Steph Curry, because I wanted him to play for the Knicks when he got drafted. And even though he didn't get drafted, I was like, I think this kid is going to be really good. I really want to watch him grow. And as he got better, then I became more invested in the Warriors success. Does that make sense?
0: It does. It does. It does uh i do think that it is possible to be a deep fan and a bandwagoner partially because i think i have the opposite problem i'm a deep fan who jumps off the bandwagon when a team gets too popular like i was uh, a big fan of the Giannis storyline here's this tall tall, lengthy kid from the streets of greece who um you know is so unaccustomed to having money that when he gets an nba contract he has his brothers move in with him into a like a small one-bedroom apartment in new york right um and and he developed size he developed uh ball handling skills and he's just growing and doing all these amazing things and then in one off season he learns how to shoot a jumper and the next year he's coming back with a three-pointer and i'm like this guy is is one of the most promising talents i've ever seen and as soon as the bucks uh start taking first place in the east every year uh, the storyline has has run its course for me Uh, whereas if i was a bandwagoner fan i think now is when I would be really, you know, pro Giannis for, and then I would know all the history of, of why to be a pro Giannis, you know, fan. So I think it is compatible to be a deep basketball fan and a bandwagon.
1: Yeah. With, you know, with the exposure aspect of it, right? Like, first of all, you have to have exposure to become a fan in the first place. Um, for instance, you know, here's an example from my own history. I, was into watching basketball, but I never really liked to play it. And <laughs> then I was exposed to the and one videos. Uh, so these guys doing crazy tricks that they would never try on a professional court, you know, because some moves are like illegal, essentially. Uh, some moves are legit, but it, they're just so over the top. It's like, how does that even happen? Um, like I watched a, gr- a guy dribble the ball and crawl between another guy's legs. And like, how would that even happen in an NBA game? How did that happen on the basketball court? But it did. (laughs) Right. And so because of that, I got really into trying to practice these kinds of moves. And then I started actually playing basketball because of that. And then I became a fan of like, not just watching the game, but also playing the game. And so, uh, you know, I think, you know, for bandwagon fans, right. That exposure of watching a team win a championship. This is why, I like teams like the Yankees, the Cowboys, uh, the Warriors now, but I would say that in basketball history, it was probably the Lakers or the Celtics, because they have so much championship exposure. Um, fans are, you know, they're used to watching them, so they they kind of know, like it's kind of like old reliable, like oh, the Lakers are going to be in the NBA Finals this year. I can watch it and enjoy it because I know that I know of that team and I have experience with that team. So it makes the, the the barrier of entry easier, but also gives you a little bit more exposure until you get to that point where like you and me have these experiences of like, holy cow, that was a really cool thing. Now I want to watch a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I want to take a quick um, second to pull back and look at kind of the, the norms that we're we're throwing in here about enrichment I don't want to say that a deep fan is better than a casual fan. We have to remember this is entertainment, right? Like this is uh a hobby for us. And, you know, the players this is their career, but for for a lot of us this is a leisure activity. And if you don't care about basketball, that is okay. And if you only slightly care about basketball, that is okay. Right, being a casual fan, there's nothing wrong with that. So when we say that we're enriching that's in, enriching to have a deeper understanding, I would agree with that and I would not um place on that some kind of value of good or better. Uh just just, uh richer. Like um knowing something about about art and color theory might help you appreciate an an abstract piece of art better.
1: Yeah. And I actually am now thinking, did I say that accidentally? Because if if I did, I did not mean to.
0: No, I don't think you did. I just wanted to make sure people weren't weren't taking this away that we think they
1: ought to be a deep basketball fan. Right. You ought, to be, you ought to be, which you don't have to be. <laughs> right. I mean, you can apply that same thinking to any sort of experience, right? Like if your mm-hmm. hobby is watching movies, right? You can just go about watching movies just because you have a deep knowledge of a genre or a filmmaking style doesn't mean that you are a better fan of that thing. You know, if you like, like for years, I've loved hip hop. I would say I was like a pretty deep fan of hip hop. But it wasn't until, like, this year that I could say that I could take apart a genre of music and really dissect it and discuss it. Like, I would listen to stuff, and to me, it was, like, good or not good. I couldn't really articulate what was better or different about things. And so I think, like, even with fandom, right, um, it's easy to get lumped into, like, casual fan is not as good. But we all have to have these experiences that get us from from a place where we have none to a place where we have some.
0: yeah, and I think having participated in the sport does help. I mean, you you know the rules, so you know like when whistles are called, why they're being called, why is the game being stopped? What does it mean to win? Like if you don't have just the basic understanding of the game, it the athletic accomplishments are harder to see because you don't know what's what's good and what's bad. Like everybody will know a big high long jump is something that humans don't typically do right, <laughs> right? So, so that's something like slam dunks grab everybody's attention but um for, like uh, a a nice pick and roll play that just like how did he see that opening is something that it might take a little bit of exposure to the game either as an observer or as a participant like i know what it's like to set a pick and have to turn and realize that there's bodies in my way <laughs> right uh and so having having played it all um, does provide some kind of insight and if you've never played but you follow the rules and and dig deep into the film like you can have another kind of enriched experience uh it's interesting to me when you and i would play i was uh i said i wasn't good at sports and and that was true growing up but as i got into high school like basketball was the one thing i was developing a a little bit of skill in. it was never great but like i could play with with varsity players and have fun and, and everything um but I basically did all the basics. I was just a fundamentals guy. I didn't do anything except maybe try to find nice uh, keyhole passes. But as you and I played, and I'm in my late 30s, I started watching NBA players for like what moves they were using. And uh, you're such an aggressive defender, I would have to mimic a player to try and figure out some way to, to, to trick you. And so I'm learning new things from watching other players. So there's this kind of like mutual enrichment, knowing how to play the game, helps you watch and watching might help you learn how to change your game
1: you know the players they watch game game film to understand like how people are reacting on the court and doing things so that they can be better on the court and the same thing happens for us as fans right we can take our fandom from watching a team casually to um, starting to read blogs about the team to watching you know video dissection of plays that the team runs so that you can have a better understanding of how good their defense is or how good their offense is so that you could be a better criticizer of the team that you're a fan of or the NBA. So this seems like a good place to stop. Uh, We've talked a lot about, you know, the fan relationship with the game of basketball And I think we have a lot more to talk about in other sorts of love relationships with the sport of basketball. So stay tuned for part two when we talk about the relationship between players and fans.
0: Meanwhile, thanks for joining Any Honey in the Noob.